This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score it? Season 11. It's episode 7. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And pass and move. It's a Liverpool groove. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Today, we're actually recording this on a big anniversary for uh, in, in international 90s football. Do you know what it is? Are we? Yeah, what big anniversary today. 29 years since... Not the big one. Not the big one. <laughs> since England played Holland in Rotterdam 29 years ago today. Oh, well, there we go. What were you doing? Yeah. Now, let's not go into it. I've got <laughs> loads of good correspondence, um, so I don't feel I need to celebrate the 29th anniversary of England playing Holland. So, should we get on with it? Should we just get on with the episode? Because it's a great episode. We've got great correspondence. Have we got great night o'clock news, Chris? I've got one piece of unbelievable news we really need to well, get, get into. Get on with it, then. Well, let's get I, on with it. Can I quickly, before we go into either of those, I'm, I'm fascinated by, is there a year anniversary of that event that you'd want to celebrate i feel like that's like someone saying to me do you want to celebrate the 30th anniversary of your nan dying in a car crash it's like that, yeah. that, is, that is not an event i want to reminisce on in a celebratory no, way i'd say that that england holland thing is less distressing <laughs> well you never met my nan <laughs> well actually there is more to the story so it's the 29th anniversary and i realized that because there was a clip on uh, social media i saw this morning of uh, Matt Lorenzo was the, the TV host that night. We, we spoke to Matt Lorenzo, but I don't remember if this came up. And um, Matt Lorenzo rushes the, the pundits off air, and it's Trevor Francis and Ray Wilkins. He rushes them off there. That's it here from Rotterdam. Good night. But what happened? The feed continues for a little bit, and you hear Ray Wilkins go as they, they're off air, and he goes, "Cunt should have been sent off." <laughs> 
<laughs> so I text Matt Lorenzo and said, happy anniversary for this. And Lorenzo texts back, uh, I wish we'd let that go out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a, what a time. Right, let's get on with it. Should we have some 90s o'clock news? Come on. Yeah. Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scull. One story, one top story. Beefa picks soccer legend to host its awards. You're probably thinking, who's Beefa? Uh, many of you will know oh, it's the British no. International Freight Association. Oh, and the host, yes, who are you picking? Please. Who are you picking to host, Michael? Keegs. Keegs. The British International Freight Association has chosen Kevin Keegan, a legend of English football, as the host for its annual Freight Service Awards competition. Once again, picking up all the big hosting gigs. Yes. Uh, Let's have a look here. So, uh, BFO Director General Robert Keane says, uh, Keegan's glittering career included domestic and European success at Liverpool and Hamburg, as well as European Footballer of the Year awards. Since the 70s, he has been a pivotal influence on the way football is played, managed and perceived in Britain, and we hope BIFA members will use that example to put put together category award entries which show how they are also pivotal to the successful management of freight, transport and international supply chains. But do you know what? (laughs) If I, I... It would encourage me to enter because you're like, it's such an exciting host, Kevin Keegan. It's an incredibly exciting host, isn't it? It but is. It would... It's just it's the same problem. Is it not bizarre? No, because it, I don't think people know that these awards exist. Like, they're happening every night and there's a celebrity hosting them every night. It's no different from picking Emily Maitlis or Romesh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, do you think it is incongruous? But who are you going to get for the freight awards that isn't incongruous? <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? I'm trying to think of famous lorry drivers. Can't really think of any. Michael, the awards are on Thursday, January nineteenth at the brewery in London. Nineteenth, yeah. I'm, hey, I'm free. I'm putting it in my diary. It's not yeah. a million miles from your house as well. The brewery, Michael. It's twenty minutes door to door. Well, I've got I've got an email about Kevin Keegan. So, shall we get straight into the? Um, yeah, straight let's go straight. I just want to shout out Silogram on, on uh, Twitter for pointing this out to me. So thank you, Silogram. Let's go into correspondence. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. And let's start straight into another sting with a Do I Remember This Right? 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 This is from James Webster. Hi chaps, listening to the latest series sparked a memory from going to watch United in the 90s, which I had to share. Uh, Right, so this was in 1996, 95-96 season, United and Newcastle going head-to-head for the title. Manu were playing Arsenal at home, a game they would win 1-0 thanks to a Cantona screamer. As remarkable as that goal was, it was not the most extraordinary thing to happen that night. Instead, the real entertainment took place at half-time. Now, man, you were doing a half-time raffle. Tickets sold before, the, you know, the classic 50-50 raffle. I can't believe man, you were doing one. Yeah, this, surely to, like, you can't be doing that when with massive attendances. Well, they says the, the cash prize is usually a 1,000 quid. It used to be about 500 quid at Argyle. 
So really, at Man U, it should have been about 20 grand. (laughs) The celebrity in attendance would do the draw. Often an old pro, though we also had the likes of Spice Girls, Simon and Yasmin Lebon, and Ken Doherty. The teams had gone in at halftime, and the metal drum was brought onto the pitch uh, to draw draw from. The announcer came out to start proceedings. The last thing anyone expected was for him to introduce none other than Kevin Keegan to do the draw. What? The what? cacophony of booze which greeted him is like nothing I've ever heard. Eventually, they died down, though. Kevin did the draw, had a picture of the winner, and the stadium announcer invited the crowd to give him a round of applause for being such a good sport. Now, as I've already said, this story is almost impossible to believe. While I have never been able to find a shred of evidence that occurred, there are a few things that make me think it did. I've checked the fixture list for the season, found Newcastle were due to play Arsenal a couple of weeks later, so it's likely he was at the game. Also, knowing KK's character, this is just the sort of thing he would do if asked. He would have probably thought it was rude to say no. I should also add this happened during my teenage years when football was my world and I absorbed everything I could about the sport. I went to every home game that season, remember the results and scores of all of them. It'd be odd to recall all of that and I've got this completely wrong. I've thought of submitting this for Do I Remember This Right? But I'm just so sure that I do, that I, I don't think this is a Do I Remember This Right. It is. We're, <laughs> we're having it as a Do I Remember This Right. Having said that, it'd be a little reassuring if at least one listener who was in attendance that night could write in and confirm I'm not completely mad. There we go. What do you think? I mean, it seems absolutely insane in isolation. He's given a compelling argument about his memory. But yeah, at least one other witness to the event. Imagine if Kevin Keegan, during the title run-in, had drawn the half-time draw on Old Trafford. It's impossible. It's impossible. Was there any mention of sort of cross-referencing Keegan's commitments that day? Like what, what were Newcastle up to? Manchester United, Arsenal, 1996. What, do you think he was hosting the BIFA Awards? <laughs> March the 20th. It was right near the end of the season. I just... I'm not saying it's not true, but it seems... I mean, this would be a Hall of Fame, do I remember this right, if if it has been remembered is, right. Surely other people would remember it. There must be a paper trail of this. This would be incredible. So Newcastle's fixtures that season, he was free that night, yeah, and they were due to play Arsenal next. So the assumption is he's gone to scout it. Someone scout. at Arsenal has gone, oh, there's Keegan. No, someone at Man U. Sorry, someone at Man U has gone... Probably is a bit of a prank. Do you want to come on and do the halftime? And Keegan's gone, yeah, sure. I mean, the, the mad thing is it it could be true. He was, yeah. They were playing Arsenal. They were playing Arsenal three days later. That, that makes a lot of sense. And do you know what? I bet Man United are looking after him. Like, you know, like, oh, the opposition manager, here, sit in the director's box with us, like, and then actually do us a favour. Go, go down and do the halftime draw. And he's like, oh, go on then. Yeah, I can actually see you that know, now. They'd, they'd only lost to Man. You know the game they'd lose one nil to Man U. That was they'd only they they lost to Man U one nil, beat West Ham three nil, and then he did this. <laughs> God, their form was bad at this point. Then they lost two nil to Arsenal. Then they lost four three to Liverpool. Yeah, it's because he's too busy doing fucking garden fate tombolas instead of prepping his team. <laughs> what the hell is this game? So sorry, I'm looking at Newcastle's fixtures at the end of the season. They drew their last game at home to Tottenham. Oh, it must be a friendly. Yeah, it's a friendly. And then three days later, they played Nottingham Forest in a friendly and they lost 6-5. I bet the atmosphere there was a bit dodged, wasn't it? <laughs> what's, that, what's that? That's got to be a testimony. Keegan scored a penalty. Yeah, that's, that must be a penalty. Keegan scored a penalty. 
Oh, my word. Anyway, so would you like some more Manchester United content, Michael? Yes, please. Gareth Savage, uh, loving the new series. I was interested in you mentioning Big Ron's Mawson International hat wearing during the Sheffield Wednesday dock last week. Now, you remember Big Ron was pictured in a hat with Mawson International written on it when Sheffield Wednesday won the League Cup. Do you remember this? Yes. And we didn't know what it was or why he was wearing it. It reminded me that Manchester United players wore these hats in the early 90s after winning the FA Cup in 1990, League Cup in 1992 and Premier League in 92-93. I've attached pictures for reference. Isn't that mad? I'll show you the pictures. They're all... They're all wearing Mawson International hats. Now you say that, that really rings a bell. What is going on? Now, I, I put Mawson International into... in. I googled it and I came up with a company, but they'd only, they'd only come into existence in 2004. So, unless it was an early viral campaign. What's going on? I sort of... My immediate assumption was it was perhaps something to do with the FA. What I do love, and I don't know if he's ever talked about this, is the first ever Premier League medals weren't medals. They were miniature Premier I've League trophies. This. I've just seen what? this. Yeah, this Look is Look at Steve Bruce's hand. Oh, yeah. That's so much better than a medal. That is so crazy. A tiny little Premier League trophy instead of a medal. That is rubbish, actually, isn't it? No, that's it, better. I'd much rather have it. It's like their little Sabutio trophies. They're fucking great. If you've got, if you're a retired footballer and you've got like all your medals out, and it's just one tiny little Premier League, people are going, "What the fuck is that?" And you go, oh, they gave that little tiny, and that like, and actually, it really degrades the achievement. I've got, I've got, I've got an added question for the Mawson International because I've just Google imaged it. Why didn't they wear it? Because they didn't when they won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1991, which was. Bang in the middle of their Mawson International <laughs> cap phase. Did did UEFA overrule? Because they've also not got their sponsors on their shirts that night as well. I can't remember why that is, why Sharp's not on the shirts. We need to know more about Mawson International. Big Ron is obviously linked to Man United. So is there a link there? Is the person who's paying Man United, if they're paying, to wear Mawson International when they win, do they know Big Ron? Is it is it Martin Edwards? Well, not Martin Edwards because he'd have fallen out with Big Ron, presumably. But is there someone at Manchester United who's pulling the strings from Mawson International? One more Manchester United email? Yeah. Hi, guys. Long-term listener. First-time correspondent. Making my way home listening to the Dion Dublin pod. Imagine my surprise when I hear you discuss a story with which I'm heavily involved and can provide additional information. Oh, love it. I am the man who discovered and saved David Beckham's Preston contract. Oh, wow. In the summer of 2003, whilst in college, I had a part-time job at Preston North End, working for the maintenance team at Deepdale, where my dad was the stadium manager. This mainly involved repainting white lines on the edges of every step in the ground, a terrible job made far more enjoyable one day, when witnessing a bizarre incident when injured striker Ricardo Fuller was trying to recover from a knee injury whilst doing laps of the pitch, and tried to take a drink from a sprinkler and nearly lost his lip due to the unexpected water pressure. <laughs> I can't even picture that. Susie, so is, is the sprinkler on and he's put his head down to, to drink from the kind of source of the sprinkler and it's whacked him in the lip? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Who, if you, knew, if you were going to take a drink from a sprinkler... You know, you surely you know to go distance. You rather. know to go distance. Anyway, on to the story in hand. One day, the club secretary asked to borrow me for a secret task. He had two black bin bags of confidential waste to dispose of. He asked me to make a fire and burn it. I set about making a makeshift barbecue between the town end and the derelict pavilion paddock stand out of bricks lying on the ground between the two. I lit a fire and opened the bag. Whilst I know I shouldn't have read the contents, to my amazement, it was two bags of player contracts. As a lifelong fan, I spent hours reading the contracts of my former heroes before tossing them into the flames. That is incredible, isn't it? How why much would you enjoy why that? Burning, why are they burning them? Like it's like the fall of East Germany, like the secret police burning their files. Like, what's in those player contracts? Like, I don't understand Eventually, that. to my amazement, I pulled out a piece of paper from the bag and stared on in amazement as I discovered a club copy of David Beckham's Preston North End contract. I took the contract to my dad and informed him that I simply couldn't set fire to this glorious piece of our club's history. He agreed. I believe he spoke to the club and they agreed to him keeping it where he displayed it proudly on his office wall. On Beckham's time at Preston, he did score from a corner with pretty much his first touch in a PNE shirt wow. and come off the bench against Doncaster. He also bagged the first ever of his trademark free kicks against Fulham. He was phenomenal for Preston. The rumours were we tried to buy him, but man, you wouldn't entertain it. He remained a follower of Preston, and I can recall him being in the stands two years later when we clinched promotion from the then third division away at Leighton Orient. There you go. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. From Paul. Amazing. I love that he came back. I love that he came back as a fan. Yeah, that's that's similar to him queuing up for the Queen, isn't it? Somewhere... Somewhere out there in Southampton, there was the son of the general manager of the Dell who's got Ali Dyer's loan contract. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I can't imagine a better experience 
than going through two bin bags of all the old player contracts <laughs> from the club you support. I don't think I could burn any of them. <laughs> I think it would be quite. I think a modern one would be quite boring and technical. Like Stefan Schwartz would be a good one to have framed. Yeah, it? I was just thinking because it's going to be a one pager and it's going to it's going to have a clause about space. Yeah, uh, I think Stefan Schwartz's space contract would be worth it. Yeah, Mbappe, you're looking at four pages just on image rights, and you're just like, oh, it's a waste yeah, of time. It would actually be quite a dry <laughs> read, wouldn't it, Mbappe's? <laughs> I think I'd probably enjoy any 90s football contract just to see what it looked like. Do you know what I mean? If you have got a copy of a 90s football contract, please do send it in. This is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Well, before we hear Tom Gibbs, just a reminder, if you want even more quickly, Kevin, if you want next week's episode now, if you want two extra bonus episodes this month, including chapter eight of Sweeper, plus an exclusive, another slice only episode with Yap Stam. Unbelievable scenes. What a booking that yeah, is. Yeah, unbelievable. And That's so, honestly, the best so special we've ever done, hasn't it? Best, easily the best special we've ever done. If you want to get even more quickly, Apart Kevin. from the one where we watched Gladiators. <laughs> It's always also on there. It's also on there. Sign up on the Quickly Kevin fan club. You can do that at anotherslice.com forward slash quickly Kevin. Loads more bonus episodes, loads more good stuff over there. Do have a look. Anotherslice.com forward slash quickly Kevin. Right, on with today's episode, and it is an absolute cracker. Tom Gibbs, uh, who is a football journalist, has spent the last year trying to get in touch with every player from the iconic 22-player team group that launched Sky's Premier League coverage in 1992. This is us talking to him about that incredible journey and also generally talking about that iconic advert and a bit of QPR. Today's guest is a hero of the Loftus Road terraces, being a QPR fan primarily, but more to our interest, has recently written an article for The Telegraph in which he tried to track down everyone involved in one of the most iconic photographs of 90s football, the Sky Premier League launch photo. Please welcome Tom Gibbs. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very excited about discussing this photo. Um, of course. This photo. It's very rare we do an article, a, a episode only on one photo, so this is a, we're really... <laughs> this is a first for us. Yeah. This is, what this is great audio content, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is what the podcast medium was made for. <laughs> we always start by asking a guest, have you ever met a 90s footballer? Presumably you have. Yeah, well, I assume that's what we're going to discuss at some length here. Um, but there was one from my childhood, and there's two things to know about this story. The first is with that I've got really, really terrible facial recognition, and still will do, which is a very bad trait for a journalist. Um, the second is I grew up in Bromley, which is quite nice, but... Not that great, but it's got some really lovely sort of suburbs around it. And you get like Palace players live there and some Millwall players as well. So when I was about 12, my dad had this friend called Pete, who was this urbane, handsome silver fox type. And on my walk home from school, I would go past this car wash and I'd often pass this guy close to it. And I thought it sort of fit my impression of this guy. He's quite a sophisticated dude. He likes a clean car. Maybe he'd even have a valet. Um and I would always give him a little nod or say hello, and he'd uh, he'd say hello back. And one day I was with my dad, and I walked past him, said hello, did the normal thing, exchanged a nod. Uh, my dad didn't say anything. And we got past him. I said, why didn't you say hello to your mate? Uh, and my dad said to me, 
that's not my friend, that's Mick McCarthy. (laughs) (laughs) No way. He was Millwall manager at the time and objectively looks nothing like my dad's friend. I got I got the mix up and I, I wonder what and my dad was like really confused about like, how have you got this how are you on nodding terms with Mick McCarthy and I wonder what Mick McCarthy thought he'd got himself into yeah. as well this sort of cordial but respectful relationship with a schoolboy uh, who you know wouldn't how ask for an autograph you? like how 12 or so oh my god yeah wow and what was he manager Millwall he was yeah 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 oh, I, suppose he, I suppose it probably bled into his time at Ireland as well you yeah for that can't you yeah oh wow so he comes out of that well I think does he I, I think so. He comes out yeah. of most things well, doesn't he, Mick McCarthy? Yeah, I think he does. I think I think we're pretty positive about him on this. Yeah, yeah. I'm pleased about that. Did you have uh, the other thing we ask is, did you have any special rules when you played football at school? Well, my my childhood football career didn't go much further than headers and volleys. But what I'm curious about is what you all called that game because there's loads of different names for it, right? Wembley doubles was one. Uh, I've seen cuppies, cuppies, and vods. Nods and vods is the best one I've uh, found. Nods and vods is good. Vods. Yeah. Nods, and then they've just changed volleys to vods, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so make you it right. Yeah, yeah take it right. Did you call it uh, nods and vods? No, no. So we had sixty-six, which involved a countdown from sixty-six. Um, I presume as a tribute to the, yeah, the brave boys. Tribute to our great, our great nation. Exactly. And same, same basic rules as everyone else. But I, I'm just fascinated by the geographical disparity here. I, I tried to sort of, you know, when I went to university and suggested this. People were baffled by uh, sixty six. They haven't oh, heard, never haven't heard, heard it. it. No. So, presumably, so it's, you got to score score a goal in sixty six seconds, and then two in sixty six. Exactly that. Exactly right. that. Yeah. But what I want is that is one of those infographics where you get the country and you see what yes. it's called in all the different areas, or oh, you know, yeah, get, that, get on an census or something like that. That would be, be a lovely. Uh, Telegraph long read. Would you be tempted to do a telegraph long read about that? I'm tempted to do a telegraph long read by any sort of uh, <laughs> niche subject that they'll let me write about. That is one question I did want to ask. So, because working in comedy now, I don't watch much comedy. Has working in football changed your relationship with football? And does it mean that you have a different relationship with the 90s football of your youth to what you have? I think, um, if anything, it has made me enjoy football more. Because has it? I think so, because the more you watch it, the more... Oh, I've always felt like this about football, that the more involved you get, there's, there's so many more things you can pick out. And it took me until I was about maybe like 30 to realise quite how basic my enjoyment of football was and I, yeah, i'm getting I so I get, I, exactly i get so distracted by kits and sponsors and things like that and i do find um a lot of a lot of the very clever stuff still goes slightly over my head but 90 stuff i suppose i mean doing this piece the thing that came through was just the the joy of it still to the players and you you expect speaking to people from that age they're going to come they're going to bring a lot of oh, we just missed out on the good times we missed out on the really big money but there's very little of that they they all seem to be maybe they had sort of enough perspective from it that they were at the point where they could all be quite grateful for the times they've had um i mean the thing the thing you notice now i think looking back on any 90s football is like it is terrible Euro 96 was a disgrace. <laughs> Don't say that. What, do you just mean the quality of the football or do you mean everything associated with it? No, no, of course not everything associated with it. But the, the quality of the football, like, you know, when they were re-showing those Euro 96 games in, in, the, in the pandemic, yeah. the number you... of just aimless punts forward from the defence yeah. that are just greeted with applause and, like, delight <laughs> by the crowd or, or pop shots from 40 yards, it's, um, it's baffling. Do you think that how much do you care about the quality of football? 
and how much you, I think I'm so much about the um, is ephemera the word the kind of surrounding kind of um, you know culture around it that actually that I think I read more transfer gossip than I watch games do you know what I mean I'm, I'm I suppose I'm involved in it as a soap opera more than I am as a Jonathan Wilson what you're saying is you're part of the problem I think um, I'm obviously not massively concerned about the politics. I go to watch QPR regularly, but yeah. um, it's um, yeah, I mean, it gets tedious watching really, really good football all the time. I, I think that for me, the true mark of a football fan is would you stop and watch a game in the park of anyone playing? And that is just completely like distraction. Oh, I love distraction it. For yes, me. Yeah, absolutely uh, love that, it. That's the purest form, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny that point you make about 90s football being poor because I've, I've recently watched a West Ham season review and the one thing you really I notice now is like that the organisation of defences is so bad like people running into each other and attackers just having yards of space in a way 90s football is more exciting than now because it's a bit more lawless like you, do, you really get the sense that anything can happen at any moment and a goal can come out of nowhere whereas now it's a bit it feels like it's more scientific or like defend, defensive manoeuvres are more kind of forensic Back then, it's just madness. We discussed if you could go back and were a manager in the mid-90s and take your knowledge now back to the 90s. Uh, we didn't believe that we could impart the knowledge ourselves that would improve a team from what we've learned. Uh, do you think you've reached the level of understanding through being a journalist that you could teach a high press to the Spice Boys? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would really, really struggle to even try to explain wingbacks to Jason McAteer, but that would be, you know, his fault yeah. as much as mine probably. Well, let, why don't we role play this? I'll be McAteer. You're, you're Tom going back in the past. How do you explain a high press? All right, look, look, Jason. Concentrate on the football. Forget about the head and shoulders adverts and just get your head in the game and uh, bomb forward, mate. I, actually, actually, talk to my mate Nick McCarthy. He'll be your national manager soon. <laughs> There's something about six seconds after they get possession back that's really important, but I'm not totally across it. <laughs> I think it's 66 seconds. <laughs> um, so the reason we we uh, have you here today is in, in honour of 30 years of the Premier League, you attempted to track down the 22 players that featured in the Sky-launched team group photo, which anyone, if you just Google it, you'll be familiar with it. Do you want to just give us a kind of... Just describe what that photo is for those that don't know. Yeah, so 22 teams in the initial Premier League before they had that funny season where four went down and two went up to make it the 20 it is now. Sky did the, the big TV advert, which I'm sure we'll get to, which is very familiar to anyone who's watched a lot of YouTube in their time. The advert, which was everywhere at the time, it was in all the magazines, all the supplements, and it was on billboards all around the country, was a player from every club in their kit in a sort of squad photo. Um now, if you're a kit anorak like me, it's absolutely fascinating because it was done quite early. It was way before the start of the season. Um, so a yeah. lot of the teams don't have sponsors on them. Yeah, the I noticed that. Yeah, the thing, the, the, the thing that I noticed as a QPR fan was that we, we were sponsored by Classic FM, which is obviously wonderful. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, but but the, way it's, the, way it's on, the way it's set on the hoop of the QPR shirt is different to the actual shirt the players wore. So Classic FM is all on one white hoop. But when the, when the season started, the FM was on the hoop below. Now, when I told this to Andy Sinton, he did not give a shit. <laughs> he couldn't care less about it. I was, I was baffled. <laughs> so what do you think has gone on there? 
It's a prototype, I think. It's an early an early draft before Classic FM and their brand guidelines got involved and said, no, absolutely not. The FM can't be on the same size. <laughs> They're probably trying to maximise the um, the size of the font. Yeah, I can't believe Andy Sinton wasn't interested in this. This is no, great chat. <laughs> <laughs> on those kit sponsors, the one thing that always bothered me about that, that sort of iconic picture is, like you said, it went on billboards, it was in magazines, it was literally everywhere. Front and centre of that picture is, I can't remember who the player is, but he's in the Coventry home shirt. Oh, well, th- we, and this is... the Peugeot site, that sponsorship on that, is so far down and so misaligned that didn't somebody just go, yeah, just just pull your shirt up a little bit, mate. Like, it's, it's so badly designed that I can't believe that's the best version of that picture. Even as a 13-year-old, I just thought, come on, oh, there's yeah, got to be a better a very version low, than that. That's a very low Peugeot, <laughs> isn't it? The Peugeot is level with his navel. Yeah, that's so bizarre. And then Wimbledon, no sponsor. Norwich, Wimbledon no, no sponsor. sponsor. Yeah, Wimbledon, no sponsor, as they had for that whole season. They didn't have a shirt sponsor. Oh, but then Norwich have got no sponsor. Middlesbrough have got no sponsor. Leeds have got no sponsor. You, you know, like that no sponsor thing. Like Wimbledon, West Ham had a season where they didn't get a sponsor. I don't understand. Is Surely you just take a terrible offer. Why is having no sponsor preferable to, like, you know, not just taking an offer? I don't understand that about the lack of sponsorship sometimes. I, I suppose you've got you've got some standards, right? Is that the point? Yeah, or it's like a negotiation ploy. But you know, you wonder about Spurs' stadium where where they're going with that if they're holding out for you know title so they can be a bit like Barcelona in London. Plymouth just uh, renamed their away stand the Suzuki Barn Park End, and it has divided the message boards. Absolutely. <laughs> I wonder how much they're paying for that stand. Like, sure. Yeah, like- it's your, it's the worst stand as well. So Suzuki <laughs> couldn't afford any of the major threes. They couldn't afford the Devonport Linda Grandstand. grandstand. Um, so what do you know about, like, the how this shoot came about? Do you know much about the kind of uh, genesis of the shoot? It's tough to pick that apart. Understandably, a lot of the players couldn't really remember how it came about. It seems like some of them had been sent as the best possible representative of their club. They wanted to put their best foot forward. So who do you think that is then? Well, I think if we look at that, what what I can say diplomatically is if you look at that photo, you can tell the teams who haven't done that. (laughs) Well, my my favourite interview of yours is with Gordon Strachan, who says, like, he, he says, I was like third choice. Like, people turned it down before me. And then he has absolutely no memory of the whole thing whatsoever, which is a brilliant part of it. Uh, well, one of the reasons for that might be, by all accounts, there was a piss up the night before. Um, oh, Vinnie Jones reckoned he hadn't been to bed. <laughs> he said he arrived in the clothes he'd been in in the night before, and um, he didn't. Which have is luckily kit. a Chelsea kit. <laughs> <laughs> As was the style at the time. Uh, and he didn't have any boots, uh, so he had to borrow some boots, uh, but they weren't the boots he had a sponsorship deal with. And they, they assured him, apparently, the people making the adverts, oh, we'll airbrush it out, don't worry about it. But then his sponsors got wind of it and cancelled his sponsorship deal. Oh, so he lost a load of money for doing the advert. Vinny also, it comes about that he moved to Chelsea, right? I just after, when was this shot? Do you know when it was shot? Like June or something? Yes, I think it was June. And so he was at Chelsea at the time, but that was one of the last, his last acts as a Chelsea oh, so before he went back to Wimbledon. Sorry, yeah. Right, so there's there's, there's these lovely shots and there's one in the article of him. Um, I mean, you, know, you could see that the, the love of the spotlight was there early for Vinny because he, he, he was asked by Sky, right, can you go up and do some extra promotion? So he went up a ladder and got onto one of the billboards and nailed a Wimbledon shirt over his Chelsea <laughs> shirt. 
to make to make it accurate. It's, it's a shame Ian Butterworth didn't then go up a ladder and nail Norwich's Norwich and Peterborough Building Society sponsor onto his. <laughs> A bit of extra punch in the East Anglia area. So do you, do you know, like, were they paid for this? They were. The, the, the recollections about the fee vary, but the, the most common agreement was that it was a grand, which doesn't sound like loads by football money now. But That's good money in the day. It was, it, yeah, it was. It was. It's about, it works out as about 1,800 quid now, if you're accounting for inflation, which we must. Um, and in the context that Tim Flowers reckoned he was on 250 quid a week at the time of this advert. So <laughs> Enormously uh, good deal, yeah. So the the money hadn't come in yet. Do you think it was a flat fee, and there's been memory problems, or do you think some they've gone? I reckon we could probably get Andy Ritchie for two hundred and fifty quid. Do we need to chuck twenty two grand at this? We've got a budget of sixteen grand, so could you just chip away at it? I, no, I think it probably was a flat fee. I, th- I feel like Sky wanted to do things properly from the off. The, the, the theory I have about this is the vast majority of the players I spoke to for this were were noticeably eloquent. And as I'm sure you've noticed in in your experiences making this podcast, that the eloquence level of footballers can vary. Yes. Uh, so I I reckon there was a bit of massaging on both sides where Sky said, "Look, send your best." camera people right because some of the day seem to be them scouting out pundits for the future because they all did fake interviews that haven't seen the light of day oh, that's, wow. that's going to be when this advert gets like, reissued as a box set in 50 years all of that <laughs> material will be included as well uh yeah but so so i think they sent their best kind of public speakers uh, but there are some outliers so do you think that's how Salako started at sky it is, yeah. Salako, I reckon this was this was his in, and he got injured soon afterwards. So he was doing a lot for Sky um, with his injury, but he thinks he sort of made the right impression on the day and started a long and fruitful relationship with them. And did you get a feeling? So the, the, the advert, which we'll kind of come to, is shot on the same time as the. Is that a shot all shot in one day with the photo? It's definitely not all shot on one day. What you've got in the... I know there's obviously bits that aren't those people, but are there... The bits that's all one day is what you see in the advert of them getting on a coach in the um, with, with the haircuts and the clothes. Uh, yeah. And uh, you, you sort of see them shooting the photo and all the stuff in the gym where they're working yeah. out and there's, you know, Vinnie Jones in the shower and all that. And were they real showers? <laughs> We're getting into the weeds now, aren't we? I'm just fascinated. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought was like, are these people really showering? They were not real showers. They there were, we it go. Was, it, was, it, was, it was a fire engine uh, that was piped in uh, uh, with ice cold water going into what sounds like a really grim warehouse uh, somewhere near uh, Wembley, apparently. Oh, wow. I'm glad they did it near the home of football. Of course. That's the main thing. <laughs> How do you start trying to track down these 22 people? Well... Clubs are useful with this sort of thing, and a lot of these players are in this cottage industry now. Of um, uh, they work as the people that you see on match days if you're in the hospitality areas. So you know, go to the game. Off you've had your starter, Andy Ritchie comes in and gives his opinion on how yeah. Man United are going to do today. So a lot of them are doing that. Yeah, that, that, you know, club, club clubs can be useful. I mean, the most the most useful thing as ever with this with this sort of um, assignment is just friends of friends of friends, and you just have to you know. A big part of football journalism is um, turning all of your friends into contacts, basically, and being like, "Actually, <laughs> can you get me in with this person?" But um, yeah, WhatsApp is is an absolute game changer as well because you can see who's ignoring you in real time. Uh, <laughs> and you can see, and you see they've read your message and they're not interested. You can also see who's changed their status. It's very, very exciting. Uh, <laughs> of all the players you text, what was the longest gap between them reading it and texting you back, or did well, anyone not text back at all? 
yeah the, uh, spoiler alert for those um eagerly uh waiting to read the telegraph article i don't manage to get all 22 of them but uh the the coventry player was the last one i love the the story of the coventry player is interesting tell us this is it blew my mind this coventry player it's a pretty well-worn social media thing to pump out this picture and say can you name all 22 players and i reckon if it was around on pointless the coventry player is absolutely the best answer yeah because definitely not only is he quite an obscure player but he's misidentified in a lot of the previous journalism that's been done on this subject the humiliation of not even being reckoned like of that <laughs> and well, then I'm... having the sponsor so low as well it's a double yeah. <laughs> i heard a story the other day actually about a, a player um a player who was at Everton who was really, really annoyed because he was initially going to get the gig and Peter Beersley got it instead. And he really laments the fact he wasn't in the Premier League. Oh. A lot of them really, really felt proud to have done it. They feel like we've Did got they? this association now with the kind of dawn of, you know, the yeah, of history, you're, really. You basically, it's like being included in the 90s versus the Sgt. Pepper album cover, right? <laughs> it's, it's a... Imagine me missing out as poster boy to Peter Beardsley. I know. <laughs> but Beardsley's definitely the biggest star at Everton. He's one of those people that's gone. The ones who you go, they've sent the A game there are Beardsley, Strachan to an extent, although he said he was third choice. Solarco, I'd say. Gary Flower, Charles. Flowers looks like a million bucks in this. Do you know, he yeah. just looks great. He looks like a film star. Particularly as he's on 250 quid a week. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Sharp is a Lee Sharp is a big coup at that point. I'd say. Well, he was sent. He was sent as punishment. Apparently, Fergie done something to upset Fergie, and um, this was this was his punishment. And I suppose that tells you something about the standing of Manchester United relative to the rest of these teams. That yeah. Did you like? We we interviewed Lee Sharp last week, and we absolutely loved him. Do you know about Sharpie's bar, Tom? I do know about Sharpie's. I was going to say when when quickly Kevin inevitably branches out into package tours. That is surely the first <laughs> destination. <laughs> Um, so tell us about the Coventry player, sorry. The Coventry player is a guy called Lee Hurst, who is frequently misidentified um, to the point where I got in touch with Coventry and they've got, they're, they're one of those clubs, they've got quite a nice thing set up where they do a lot with their former players and there's a nice liaison uh, system there for them so they're not sort of alienated off, they leave the club. Um, and the lovely uh, woman, Sarah was her name, who works for Coventry, uh, tried to get in touch with the player I thought I was trying to go after and he said he doesn't want to do it and I thought oh, that's a real shame and then I, I just gave it another try a couple of months after initially and saying oh well, I'm really close to doing this can you can you have another go and then she looked at the picture and said that's not who you thought it was that's Lee Hurst who um, he, he, he played a lot of games for Coventry in this season He, he I think he played something like 35 games and I think he played 25 in a row towards the end of the season but in the off season after this um with his manager at Coventry, who was Bobby Gould, um, took them for pre-season training on an army assault course, which is like, I think, file under things that was definitely that, wouldn't happen in 2022. I wouldn't be surprised if that was in uh, Plymouth. They always used to come down and play Plymouth pre-season and then get to... Oh, that was Navy, though, but yeah. How, however you want to shoehorn Plymouth into the launch of the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, he he went over a big wall, a twelve foot wall on this assault course, and uh, and buckled his knee and had like really, really ruined his cruciate ligament at a time when that was potentially a career ender, and so it proved. Um, and he, he he tried to get back for years with Coventry, and he was quite a highly rated youngster, quite a tidy midfielder, and just never made it back. Uh, and he's a painter and decorator now, and oh. but but thriving. Didn't have <laughs> didn't have any bitterness about it. Didn't have any bitterness Great. about Bobby Gould. Said. 
yes, I, I would rather we hadn't have been on an army assault course <laughs> in preparation for a professional football season at the highest level. But you can't change it. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the main details I took from you uh, with the Coventry guy in the article was that some of the other players had not known who he was on the day. Is that right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Alan Kernick and the Middlesbrough bloke um, really, uh, uh, really threw him in under glass the houses. Yeah, <laughs> who are you to say I don't know who you are? <laughs> you haven't even got a sponsor, mate. <laughs> He actually has just tucked really low. <laughs> <laughs> um, who did you most like talk? How do you get in touch with Vinnie Jones? Uh, you know what? Vinnie Jones was, I, I really thought this is, this is going to be impossible. Uh, he was the first one I spoke to. Um, and I, I just went through his agent who was incredibly helpful and um, uh, put me in touch with him. He was in New Zealand. He was filming um, uh, a new series of Hunted for New Zealand TV. And uh, he was, he was fantastic. Just, um, just couldn't have been. Uh, and the thing that every, almost all of them said was oh Vinnie Jones he, he is the overriding memory of this day for all of them really and yeah. you could, you could uh, the charisma from that bloke is incredible and looking at photos of him I, I don't know how you remember Vinnie Jones from your youth but I was looking at pictures of him from the time of thinking this is he is a beautiful man yeah, is that an unconventional view he looks great I've never thought that before, but he is very good looking, isn't he? It's it's so charming, and yeah, he, he couldn't have been better. Um, he's very much got the X factor, hasn't he, Vinnie Jones? He's what whatever it is, like like to dominate that meet that meetup is an odd group of people because they're all in essence rivals, and they're brought together, and they all love Vinnie Jones. It's really who you think they'd have issues with because of the way he played the game. The, the age thing's interesting as well. You know, Lee Sharp was 21 at the time. Lee Hurst, the Coventry bloke, was a similar age. At the other end of it, John Walk was there. It won the FA Cup in 1978. Bloody hell. How old's Andy Ritchie in that picture? He looks at least 40. I, I was relieved to see that Gary Charles, because my memory of Gary Charles is obviously that it all kind of went a bit wrong. 
And I was relieved that Gary Charles... I know this is a weird thing. I relieved that Gary Charles is in a really good place. Yeah, he's turned it around. He um, yeah, went to prison twice, but has um, he's got a football agency now. He was he was really tough to get hold of um, because he said... <laughs> we spoke in the, during the transfer window. He said he thought he was having 150 phone calls a day uh, at the time. <laughs> I spoke to him. So he was really... And this is the thing, like, you doing this sort of... Um, when, when you're doing a story like this, you don't often get told to fuck off by footballers. You, you would expect it to happen a bit more because a lot of the time you, there's no reason for them to talk to you. Um, you know, sometimes they say, you know, I, I want paying or like, oh, no, thank you. But by and large, they are, um, they're not annoyed. They're just incredibly disorganized. But yeah, Gary Charles took a while to speak to him and now he's, um, he does a lot of uh, extremely worthy sounding work, lots of sort of lo- local talks where he still lives in East Midlands. That's uh, good. It's fantastic, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the first question so many people ask me about this picture is, like, are they all still alive? And thankfully, thankfully they are. Um, yeah. I wanted to touch on one thing. I just mentioned John Walk then. That Specifically, I want to ask about the height of John Walk. If you have a look at that back row, John Walk is a central defender. Yeah. And I know he's sandwiched between Tim Flowers and Mark Wright, but he's at least a foot smaller than Mark Wright, right? He's not a foot. He's not a foot, but yeah, he's definitely smaller. He's he is six, smaller than Tony Daly. <laughs> He is lower than, lower than the Peugeot logo. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, Vinnie Jones isn't on tippy toes, is he? No, John Walker really is that goes. small. That would be classic Vinnie to be on tippy toes. <laughs> <laughs> Vinnie's on some comedy stilts. <laughs> um, so was John Walk nice? John Walk was lovely. The, uh, the best thing about John Walk is he's... I've got to get this right. He's, I think he's turning 60 or 65 in the... It must be 60 uh, in the near future. Still plays five aside once a week. Oh, I love it. Which, and I said, are you still bossing it? Like, you know, can you, does the quality still show? And he, he didn't want to say it, but he definitely, definitely is, I think, which is just <laughs> remarkable. Do you know if he's still got those moustache? I don't. We didn't. We, we, we spoke over the phone. Um, and oh. know, so he, he may have had it at the time. He may have lost it since or vice versa. There's, <laughs> there's no way to know. When, when you say you had a lot of them on WhatsApp... You must have checked all their pictures, right? It must have been fascinating to see what their WhatsApp profile pictures were. Did a lot of them go with action shots from their heyday or did they go with pictures of their kids or what was the general consensus? Was there any that stood out? Got to do the audit, but I reckon 90s Premier League footballers on average have photos that are 20 years old, much more than the general population. If I had a picture of myself (laughs) at 15 on WhatsApp, that, that would be very, very strange. And Lee Sharp tells an incredible anecdote about Liam Gallagher. I, how have I not? Had you heard this before? I hadn't. No, no, no. Did you not? Did you not? Did you not hear the anecdote again on your podcast? No, and it, no. I was kicking myself. Play the hits, Lee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that Liam Gallagher used to wash the cars of the players at Man U. His mate did, and he'd come along and help before that, he was famous. That's it. Yeah, and you know, I imagine even then, probably a bit of a scoundrel. But unknown to them as as a Man City fan, even then, so he was uh, he was a little bit nervous about what he might do to his car. And the thing I liked about Lee Sharp is that he, he was saying, he, you know, and he's got he's got a reputation as someone who enjoyed his life off the pitch, you know, as, as I'm sure many of us would like to or like to have done in his position. But he was talking about Manchester at the time and how it was a great time, you know, Oasis and the Hacienda. I said, oh, yeah, tell me about the Hacienda. And he said, oh, I didn't, I didn't go much. I only went six times or so in, in the few years. So I was like, that's, that's still quite a lot of times to go to the Hacienda if you're a professional footballer, given the reputation of that nightclub and what happened there. The big question, 
how do you think this squad of players would have done in the 1992 Premier League if they were the 23rd team? I'm glad you asked, Josh. And that's open to all, I'd say. My question is sort of squad depth here. I mean, you've got you've got two keepers, so you're only one injury to Tim Flowers away from an emergency loan deal from Nigel Spink, which would be pretty disastrous. <laughs> weirdly, for, for you know, you look at the picture and you think, oh, I bet it's all strikers, but actually they're, they're stacked at right back. Ian Brightwell, Cole Bradshaw, <laughs> Gary Charles, plenty of options. Zero left backs in the squad, so that's a problem. Um, yeah. Sharp could fill in at left back. Yeah, he'd do a job, maybe. Do a job. Well, there's there's three left midfielders: John Solarco and Andy Sinton. Maybe maybe they could go back. I'm sure Andy Sinton did it once for England, uh, very very well. I might add. Um, up I front, think that's a, it's a good team. That is it. I mean, how, team, how, many, how many players in this team have won the Your league? Your first eleven, if you had Tim Flowers, centre back pairing of Mark Wright, who's really good, and Ian Butterworth. Ian Butterworth. And then Gary Charles was one of the best fullbacks at the time. Yeah. And then you've got your Sinton or your Lee Sharp or whatever. Lee Sharp on the wings, brilliant. Gordon Strachan's brilliant. Up front, Beardsley and David Hurst. Tim Sherwood in midfield. That's a, It's not a bad team, is it? it? It's not, and especially not when you look at the context of some of the squads in that opening Premier League season. I mean, in a lovely, lovely hour earlier this week, I tried to do this advert again and pick the best possible squad so the best possible oh, from a 22 yes, from each um, <laughs> yes. each team you look you look at the, you know like the Middlesbrough squad it is it is slim pickings <laughs> have you, you got have you got it then what's the best what's the best possible version do you want me to go through club by club or I can do you the first 11 whichever you'd prefer I think club by club as much as I'd love to indulge that, it might take a little. <laughs> <might take> a <laughs> little All right. Well, it's it's it, R.I.P. My uh, love letter to Oldham right back Gunnar Haller, who. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying we won't get you back for a second episode, Tom. <laughs> well, either that or Gunnar Haller, whichever, whichever. Oh, I'd, I'd take Gunnar Haller in a heartbeat. Yeah. Right. First eleven. David Seaman of Arsenal. Which, yeah, a better pick than David Hillier of Arsenal who's in the actual picture yeah. right back Rob Jones of Liverpool who yeah, is one of those sort of airbrushed from history players who was absolutely brilliant yeah. centre-backs Paul McGrath Aston Villa yeah. made the team of the season that year Gareth Southgate of Crystal Palace which oh. you know bit of experience and you know one very sensible player one not so much yeah. uh, left back Tony Dorigo of Leeds now Great. You know, bit of a joke figure for England but again really good. fantastic that season Defensive midfield, Roy Keane of Nottingham Forest. I'm doing oh, this yeah, good use of Nottingham season. Forest. Yeah. Thanks very much. Left midfield, <laughs> uh, Ryan Giggs of Manchester United. Uh, and like to be frank, Roy Keane is going to have to be working extremely hard in this team. Um, who's ahead of him? You've got Chris Waddle on the right wing, Sheffield Wednesday. Matt Letizier of Southampton behind the strikers. And up top, Alan Shearer of Blackburn. There's Ferdinand of Queen's Park Rangers. That seems winning the league. Yeah, yeah that is. Yeah, and co- you might as well run us through the bench as well. The 11 on the bench. <laughs> It's all coming up. Uh, Hans Sagers keeps his place for uh, Wimbledon. Oh, wow. does he? Uh, yep. Yeah, he's, he, was, he was really good. And they had a, they had a miserly defence, uh, as does Peter Beardsley for Everton. Uh, Gunnar, the aforementioned Gunnar Haller. Uh, Keith Curl, centre-back for Man City. Phil Babb for Coventry, you know, young player coming through. Uh, Vinnie Jones, again, keeps his place for Chelsea. Uh, Chris Kamara for Middlesbrough, mainly for, you know, Bounce. having him about the place. <laughs> that is, in Mid- did Middlesbrough go down this season? Absolutely, yes, they did. 
Is it an absolute travesty of a squad? Chris Kamara is. It is, it is bleak, yeah. And I, I don't think Kamara was a, was a particularly good player for them either. Um, your central midfield options, a little bit thin on the ground, but East Anglia Pals, Jeremy Goss of Norwich and Jason Dazelle of Ipswich, uh, Darren Anderton of Spurs, uh, and rounding it off, Alan Cork of Sheffield United, because you, you've got to have Alan Cork in that photo, yeah. haven't you? Oh, that is, that is a correct. That... It's, it's going to make for a better shower scene. <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's move on to the advert. The advert is incredible watching it again. It's so evocative of the time, isn't it? More, It's, it's incredible how much it... I, I don't know if it stands up so much as how much it's... It does stand up. It does kind of... You don't think that is dog shit. You think that really sums up the launch of the Premier League beautifully, I think. For all of you, does it feel naff or does it feel exciting? Because I've watched it genuinely probably 30 to 40 times this year doing this. I've sort of analysed bits of it like the Zapruder tape. Does it feel to you like it's crossed over now into, oh, this is just laughable? Or do you still get a bit of a buzz from it? Because I've genuinely got goosebumps watching it. Do you know what? I think the same way as I feel about Limp Biscuit. I went through a period of thinking it was naff and now I'm back out the other side thinking it's cool again. Yeah, I think you need to rethink that. Have you watched, <laughs> have you watched them with Stardust? One of the worst things you ever said, Scott. <laughs> You've not seen that Woodstock documentary? <laughs> it suddenly seemed like a laugh. <laughs> do, do you know what I think makes it so iconic is the kits are all brilliant. I know with the exception of the sponsors being a bit low, but the colours are so vivid. Like in a way that football kits hadn't been in the decades before this. The kits just look great. And it's 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 the period of certainly Coventry and the Man City one. It's not just a flat colour. Sublimation. Also, yeah, I, lo- I love that Everton kit that Beardsley is wearing. I, it, I really rate the Mark Wright Liverpool the Liverpool kit. The Adidas oh, stripes. I don't know. I, I, don't know, know. I, know, I know people hate it, but I. I just loved the one before where it was uh, that the what, red with the kind of white uh, triangle. Yeah, like looking at this here with the sort of the template ones without the sponsor. I think a lot of those shirts. I'd pay a lot of money for a non-sponsor version. I think there's something really kind of classic and timeless about a kit that doesn't have a sponsor. Imagine getting your Coventry one, taking it to the printers and saying, can you put the Peugeot on a bit lower, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going down. Keep going down. Further, further. Did you um, did you find out much about the creation of the advert beyond the day when these guys did their photo shoot? Obviously, it's a classic song chosen for it. Do you, any Any knowledge as to how that came about? I didn't get into the production of the TV advert too much. I mean, the weird thing about that song is it's it was seven years old at the time. Yeah, it, was think it? Of it as a '90s song. It was released in 1985. I mean, I, you can't imagine it with anything else now, can you? And you know, certainly a better choice than some other Simple Minds song. You wouldn't want Belfast Child soundtrack in this <laughs> advert. But you could have had something a bit more current. You could have had "Can You Kick It" by a Tribe Called Quest or something like that. Or um, if you wanted to be very up to date, "Sleeping Satellite" by Tasman Archer. Um, but no one with a size Sky subscription wants a sleeping satellite. Of course, <laughs> did you? Did you have Sky? We were pretty early adopters in my house. Yeah, QPR were the first Monday night football game at uh, Main Road with the, with the cheerleaders. I don't remember watching that, so I don't think we had it right from the off. But um, I think my father fell for the uh, fell for the billboards. They did their job on him pretty quickly. Did you have it, Sky? Yeah, we were, we were fortunate enough to have one of those early Amstrad uh, satellites out the back of the house. My growing up, like the only football I really knew on telly was when West Ham were in the second division, and ITV for some reason covered loads of games. But yeah, I was early days with Sky, and it, it was the coverage was really good. It, it felt completely different. I, di- I didn't have Sky until about two thousand and six. 
So, and I can tell you that it was a real thrill. It was a real thrill. <laughs> Did you have it, Michael? Uh, I didn't have it to start with because we, we couldn't afford it. And I, I think we got it in the 95, 96 season, but I had to pay for it myself. I had to fund it through my Saturday job. That was the only way that my mum was willing to, to get it. Because it, it does make me go, where did I watch football? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like how did you what? consume it? Were you just all match of the day? Is that it? It must have just been all on match of the day, right? And sports Yeah, no night. YouTube, nothing, yeah. Just sort of to pluck something out of thin air from the 90s. Like, What do you remember of that Newcastle-Liverpool 4-3? Like, were you sort of watching it on C-Fax and went to bed and then had to sort of check in the morning? But, oh, my God, it's finished 4-3. I think, I suppose Radio 5, 5 Live right. would have been... But I think Liverpool v Newcastle is one of those... A bit like um, memories from your childhood where your parents have told you the anecdote and you don't know whether you remember it anymore. Yes, yes. I don't know if I remember Liverpool v Newcastle or if I remember... Do you know, I don't being remember told being told about it. Um, by the Premier League years. By the pre- yeah, exactly. I, I Certainly, yeah, Georgie Thompson was heavily involved in the voiceover, so maybe... I, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you actually go, I'd watch Match of the Day, or I'd take Match of the Day, and then Sports Night, my dad would take that for me, which was on like a Wednesday, which would be like the midweek... Fi- would that be the midweek fixtures? Certainly be the international fixtures. I don't know whether they had Premier League highlights. But beyond that, I don't know where I was getting my football. Was I just reading about it? I don't know. Football focus? Is it basically that and match of the day, isn't it? That's, do you know what? something that I've found myself doing recently? Is like, I think I love football as much now as I did in the 90s. Like, I think about it a lot and I can't stop reading about it in a way that I probably didn't for the last 15 years. Like yeah, in the coverage. I, like I've watched so much more coverage of it now, and the build-up I have got it on the background hours before. Do you find this, Michael? Yeah, I know. I've, I've in France recently. I've sort of started this uh, bucket list pilgrimage where I'm going to eventually visit every stadium and watch a game from every World Cup of the '90s. So I've been in France and Italy, and I've been to like San Siro and um, oh, that that is that is a great Sampdoria. <laughs> I went to watch um, Sampdoria Juventus very recently. And I was chatting to the my friend who I went to a couple of these games with, and I sort of said to him, I was like, I think I'm more of a football fan than I am a Manchester United or England fan now. Like, I love football, and I love everything that surrounds it, apart from the sort of toxicity of, you know, England away and that kind of stuff. But just being part of the matchday experience, and, like, it's like going to a different country and trying, like, the local food, and just kind of, like, drinking in what happens with that club in that region. And there's no kind of tribalism. The game of football and football played beautifully and all that's brilliant about it is far more important than the club to me and my enjoyment of it means something completely different now do you think that and I do you think that tracks because of what's happened to Manchester United (laughs) (laughs) but I don't mean that as a slam I'm like not like a kind of inter-club slam but no I I think I think it's something like (laughs) about what I enjoy and what my priorities are in life and I think it happens a lot in particular with men without making broad sort of sweeping gender generalizations but the way you sort of define yourself as a young man in your teens and your 20s and often into your early 30s is like there is a, a slower growth and a slower emotional development. So it's often the things that you you love, your passions, your tastes, your interests that define you. I love this band. I can name every single when it was released in that order and, you know, organizing my record collection by artist, by year, all of that stuff. It's sort of it's part of the DNA of who you are. And I would be the same about, say, film. I loved form and technique I loved Hitchcock and I loved those guys and then when I revisited them in my 30s and 40s I'm like the craft isn't as impressive to me anymore I want to feel something 
So I'd rather watch a film that's flawed, but perhaps has a scene or a moment that's something that really resonates about the human condition or about love or loss or grief or whatever. And I sort of feel the same way about football. I watched a dreadful game of football with uh, Monaco Lons at the Stade Louis II in Monaco recently. And it was awful. It was a dire game. It's like dreadful standard of football. There was this passage of play where Lons just went into a gear where they almost like surprised themselves how good they were. <laughs> and you could see the joy of the players. What the fuck's going on here? We're 4-1 up. <laughs> and that little 10 or 15 minutes was more enjoyable than any experience I've had outside of the key kind of marquee moments in football in, in so long. And historically, I wouldn't have given a shit. I just wouldn't have cared. So I think it's about a transformation as you get older, where you sort of view life and what you want from life differently, and football feeds into that. Do you find that your relationship with QPR has changed, Tom? I had a bit of a... uh, There's a big sort of before and after in my QPR relationship, which was Bobby Zamora scoring that playoff final winner in 2014. When it became clear that QPR weren't going to win the Premier League, and, you know... Who knows? Maybe they will one day. When, when did it become clear? Go to- At what point? <laughs> well, <laughs> do you remember you could, um, you could, and, and I'm sure still can, you can get the like official Premier League badges on the side of your sleeves of your kit. There was one year where I was trying to figure out how could I get the, the gold ones to preempt what was obviously going to happen in the uh, in the following season when QPR would win the league, like the champions ones, um, unsuccessfully and, and probably rightly so, because I think that was the year we got relegated. Um, when it became clear we weren't going to win the league ever, I sort of thought, well, the best thing we could ever aspire to, really, the, the thing I would want most as a, as a fan is like, I'd love to love to win something one day. Of course, that you know, going to Europe on a slight, you know, on a bit of a technicality, something would be brilliant one day as well. But the thing that felt achievable and yet somehow very out of reach was winning a Division One or Championship playoff final. And we, after that game, where. I went to that game with my sister, my dad, my best mate, who I met at uni because he was wearing a QPR shirt walking down the street in Manchester. And we did not deserve to win that game. We were down to 10 men. We scored in the 92nd minute. And I just thought, this is this is as good as it's going to get. And I've sort of had my feel now. Like, And, and I'll, always, I'll always go to QPR. It's kind of a church-like experience for me because I've been going since I was six. I've had a season ticket every year, bar one, since then. And when you have that relationship with it, it transcends the form of the team. I'd, I've long ago stopped being particularly affected by us not doing very well on the pitch. Like draws and defeats don't really bother me very much anymore. On the other hand, a win will make my weekend because it's brilliant and it's untouchable and there's nothing like it. But that Bobby Zamora moment, I really felt, God, this is kind of all I ever wanted. I've had this perfect day and I don't wish for any more now from my oh. football club but I'm not sure how long that's going to last <laughs> especially as we're now in this sort of endless championship purgatory <laughs> well let's talk about uh, Cooper in the 90s a bit Jerry Francis I was really he did an incredible job first time around and it, it kind of gets forgotten that he was brilliant right yeah yeah I, I mean the thing that the thing that made QPR quite lovable, I think, under him was we were cutting our cloth accordingly. Yeah, a bit like Leicester were before it started to go awry recently, where they were sort of find value in the market, build them up, sell a good player every summer and still, you know, compete and, and stay good. So 
Francis managed all that really well for QPR. We sold Paul Parker right at the beginning of the 90s yeah. to Man United and we reinvested it. We bought in Ian Holloway, who's a great servant for the club, brought Dennis Bailey in, who scored the hatcher against Man United yeah. in the 92 New Year's Day, uh, and Gary Penrice as well, who clearly inspired a key character in the Steve Bruce books. Um, <laughs> and then not long after that, we sold Andy Sinton to Spurs. We brought in Trevor Sinclair. So it was this clever, you know. Yeah. Um, Where did uh, Trevor Sinclair low. come from? Blackpool. Uh, and he was fantastic were you there when he scored the goal I was yeah I was right in line with it no I I was behind or in like in the uh, horizontally I was on the you know if you're looking at it on the from where the cameras are off this road I might have been in shot had the camera angle been slightly wider what was it like if you've been going to football for any sort of time you know what the different noises are for a goal and that yeah, was yeah. that was unlike anything I've heard before or since because there was a there was a brief second where no one could quite believe what they'd seen because there was no anticipation for it right the the cross came over and it looked like it was behind him and you sort of saw him rise up and thought oh, what are you doing and it it flew in Spencer's cross comes in and the shot oh magnificent that is brilliant fantastic goal Queen's Park Rangers 3, Barnsley 1, and even the Barnsley fans have to applaud that. That was brilliant. My favourite thing about that goal is looking at the highlights now. You can see there's a guy in the Barnsley end um, who does the old, like, throwing nothing uh, thing. He's so exasperated. As if, oh, for God. <laughs> <laughs> I should keep that out. Pathetic goalkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favourite things about football is like when a goal goes in and the away end is right in front of the goal and you just see the reaction on their faces especially like you say for a great goal where they're fuming at having conceded it Paolo Di Canio does that that goal he scores for West Ham against Wimbledon there's Wimbledon fans behind the goal and there's still a couple of people go oh come on you're like it's one of the greatest <laughs> goals of all time he's just scored like you're going to be having a go at Neil Sullivan after that <laughs> um did it feel like your natural place was the top half of the Premier League? Not about top half, but we'd been in the Premier League for quite a long time. Well, the top division for quite a long time by the time I started going. I started, the first game I we went to was 1990. And we we went up in 86, I think. Uh, no, 83 we came up. Um, we don't talk about 1986 because we lost the League Cup final to Oxford. Uh, never, oh, that's never heartbreaking. Happened. That's an opportunity, that's, isn't it? That's a joke. That is such an opportunity. Yeah, these things happen. But yeah, so I, 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 you know, historically we're a, we're a second tier club, aren't we? We've been we've been up and down either way. Um, but there was yeah, there were, just going back to what I was saying about sort of selling and buying. The, the very beginning of um, the decade, we sold Roy Weggerly, who was my first QPR hero. Really, we sold him to Blackburn. Um, and we didn't reinvest that money in a player. We bought some stairs uh, to speed up the exit from the stadium, which is still there. Uh, and they tried to sell this to the fans by uh, by saying, um, oh, don't worry, it's, it's going to make it look like the San Siro. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if you've been to Loftus Road, Michael, and how it compares with your jaunt around the Italia 90 stadiums, but I'm, I'm not sure there's much there. That's I comparable. love Loftus Road. Loftus Road is incredible ground because it's so contained. And it's obviously it's one of those ones where it's in the streets. Is it feels like you just you know it's that classic thing where you go in and it just feels like you're in a box in the middle of the city. It's great. I love it for that. It's yeah. it's a brilliant ground. It is in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the leg room isn't great. I'll tell yeah, you that yeah. much. I've got a question. I've always wanted to ask a, a QPR fan. Which is that you've had so many great sponsors. We've talked a few here. Obviously, classic FM, but you had Guinness. 
KLM. Like, so you seem to get sponsors that just didn't ever sponsor anyone else ever again. Like, so as a QPR fan, what's been your favourite sponsor? Oh, this is the question I've been waiting my whole life to be asked, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was one that, we're, I mean, way past the glory years, but the one that really tickled me uh, was we had a season with a company called Smarkets, which I just thought was like, how far we've fallen. Like, some trading platform. Um, oh, but for the memories, I think it's... Um, Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be classic FM. We we were top yeah, London it... club in the Premier yeah. League the first season. Top London club. And how far into classic FM? Because classic FM is quite an interesting brand in itself. Because they, I think I read a quite a long read about classic FM last year. I don't know if you read it, where they did talk about their sponsorship of QPR, but how it had reached some maybe it's thirty years, whatever it was. But what an incredible success Classic FM was and how it was a thing that no one expected to be possible, which was to democratise classical music. And obviously people who like classical music hate Classic FM because it's just, you know, playing the theme to um, Inspector Morse or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Ski Sunday, yeah. But part of that was that they sponsored QPR. They thought, and you were central to the success of Classic FM. It was, it was a, it was... One of those sponsors where it actually felt like it worked, according to this article. <laughs> I'd love to know how, you know, advertising is, you know, notoriously quite a sort of difficult thing to pass. But yeah. I'd love to know if there's any sort of real life case studies of blokes who <laughs> stood on the loft and were like, you know what? <laughs> it's Sunday afternoon. I'm, I'm at a loose end. I'm normally a Radio 2 listener. I'm going to explore the dial here and there. <laughs> Did it have the tuning on it? You know, like in those days, it would have to have Radio 1, 97 to 99. Did it on your shirt have the frequency? Tragically not, although who knows what prototypes Andy Sinton's got in his wardrobe. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was just being very cagey with me, and actually he's got some that had the frequency on. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know, like with club sponsorship, sometimes you get in the program, there'll be like a photo shoot with a player with the club sponsorship. So was there like Classic FM's adverts in the program with like Andy Sinton or Les Ferdinand with the headphones on? Yeah, Or with a violin? Yeah, we had a picture of Alan McDonald with Beethoven's corpse um, <laughs> in the program for years. Which, uh, it was deemed irresponsible, I thought. Uh, no, I'm... I, We've, I've got a lot of old. Well, my dad's got a lot of old programs. I should dig some out and see if there's any um, yeah, promotional times. Yeah. I'm sure there are. I mean, it, it's sort of feast and famine with the QPR sponsors. The year after Classic FM, we had a company called Computer Solutions and Finance, who just like, I, I think, just like a local what? company, probably wow. like sold PCs to small businesses. And I mean, I don't know how much niche sponsor chat you can tolerate, but oh, a lot. In the op- loads in the opening games of that ninety. 90- or 95 season, which was CSF, might be 93, 94. I'm going to be kicking myself. I think it was 93, 94. We started the season away at Villa in a black away kit, and we have this enormous big white patch on the shirts with the CSF logo, which is like something you would knock up in five minutes on MS Paint, just a, a blue oval with CSF in Times New Roman on, with computer solutions and finance written underneath it. It is horrendously ugly and I think it was probably too big because about two games later they just had the big red blue CSF on the front of the shirts and after Guinness 
in the 80s we had um blue star for a year that my, my dad reckoned was just like a petrol station around the corner <laughs> <laughs> um on the kits as a qpr fan did you watch the qpr gotcha on noel's house party when it went out have you seen it i have seen it i saw it at the time i think i've certainly listened to tom crane talk about it um, and, and that and that I'm sure was a richer experience than actually watching it again. I haven't watched it um, for a long time. My abiding memory of it, of trying to watch it again as a grown-up, is like, this is awful. Yeah, it's really poor. <laughs> it doesn't work, just doesn't work on any level. And again, again with the, with the terrible facial recognition, it's like, I, I mean, obviously could recognise Trevor Sinclair. He's got very recognisable hair, which is kind of the thing I end up going on for a lot of, uh, to get me past not being able to um, recognise faces very well. But I didn't really, I couldn't really tell who the players were beyond the extremely famous ones. So it was a, all a bit lost on me, unfortunately. Tom on that episode says that he thinks, saw QPR as, a, as the media club, the TV, partly because they're based in Shepherd's Bush, and he thinks that's why they were part of the gotcha. Would you say that's a fair, not accusation, but would you say that's a fair label? We're disproportionately well represented, I would say, on TV. My favourite um, example of that is there is a, uh, a picture um, which will be instantly recognisable to you and everyone listening to this, which was used as the background on BBC News for And Now The Sport, which oh, is yeah. a goal, uh, a ball oh, nestling ball in an empty net. In the net. And, and that's Loftus yes. Road. Is it? Oh, yes, yes. You there we see, go. You can see my seat on the left of that shot. And, you know, it, it's, it, it continues. The um, uh, David Mitchell and Webb, their sketch show, that, that thing about football that always gets trotted out by tedious people who yeah. don't like football, uh, that's filmed yeah. at Loftus Road. Oh, it's, it's just across the road from BBC. Exactly. Such an easy commute. And, and as a as a QPR fan, can we just touch on the plastic pitch? What did you think about? Did you do you ever have a season ticket when you had the plastic pitch? Did you like it? Predates me, Chris. It was um it was eighties, uh, and it had been ripped up by the time I got there in the nineties. But um, by all accounts, an absolute disgrace. Um, and why? <laughs> uh, it, it was us, Luton, Oxford, and Oldham. I think you had it. I might be wrong about Oxford. Definitely Oldham, Luton and QPR had them and, and all of them suddenly did really well because they had players basically playing in a sports hall uh, and used to that <laughs> as their home ground where the bounce was just completely unpredictable. It ruined the players' knees and, and ankles who played on it regularly because it was like, it, it really was just a sort of thinnish layer of AstroTurf on a very, very hard surface. So it just would have, I mean, you talk to any professional footballer, even those who retired relatively recently and they're living in a degree of constant pain but the players who played on those pitches regularly are really really suffering with it unfortunately so do you think the success of not so much qpr maybe who but that is a particular era of success for luton and oldham is that heavily plastic pitch related it's got to be an advantage hasn't it it's, it was a completely different surface i think there's there's no way that you can't get used to that uh but you know i'm sure there was a uh, similar dark parts being used about how 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 well things were mown and watered all across the league. So that's oh, we, well, we talked to Dion Dublin just earlier this series about that at Cambridge. I've got one last question that you've got to ask a QPR fan from the 90s is, did you ever buy Pete Doherty's fanzine from Pete Doherty? I didn't. My father claims he did. Does uh, he? We had a we had a huge number of fanzines at one point. There's one there's one still going to kick up the arse by uh, Dave Thomas, who's been doing it since the very birth of the fanzine movement. Mm. But there was one there was one called In the Loft for many years. Um, I think Pete Doherty's was called something like All Quiet on the Western Avenue. Um, but there was uh, my main sort of obscure fanzine memory of the nineties was there was one who knows what this was, but 
the big thrill of a really really big thrill of going to football as a kid is like these men are really swearing and yeah. you know, a, a lot a lot of these people are really saying some very naughty words and my dad once bought this fanzine called the whinging donkey which was just filth it was like viz on you know <laughs> on very very strong bad drugs um and i just remember it being like this is the most obscene thing i've ever read <laughs> Uh, just so sweary and, and filled with like vitriol for uh, for everything. I'm, I'm hoping it wasn't some awful like far right uh, yeah. rag. Now that now that I talk about it like that, but no, I think it was just like really really livid about how badly Steve Yates had played or something. <laughs> Do you see the '90s to end on QPR as the great greatest era of QPR? Certainly of your lifetime, presumably. Without doubt, my lifetime. Would your dad consider it a great era? I think so. Yeah, I mean. The best QPR team ever was 75-6 when we should have won the league, had um, we not stupidly thrown it away at Norwich and had Wolves not stupidly drawn uh, or thrown it away at home to um, Liverpool. But yeah, I think the thing about the 90s at QPR, which is a bit bittersweet, is we were so close to just just going over the edge and being really, really good. Like We were a few signings away, a few hanging on to the old player here and there. And, and the guy who owned QPR at the time, a guy called Richard Thompson, was like really hounded out of the club in the end because he's, you know, without fail, we sold our best or one of our best players at the end of every season. Now he'd be lauded as this money ball genius, basically, because of how good the scouting was by and large. It just, it just went to shit when we sold Les Ferdinand and, and replaced him with Mark Hately, who was crops laid <laughs> in, in right. Mark Hately was unveiled at QPR on crutches as the big replacement for Les Ferdinand. And, Astonishingly, we got relegated. Oh, uh, but yeah, th- those those were. The, I mean, I'm sure you're all familiar with this as fans of West Ham, Argyle, and Man United. That <laughs> the, the the very worrying idea that that we've seen the best days now. Oh, not a Plymouth, not a Plymouth, <laughs> no, not with not with the backing of Volvo. <laughs> Suzuki, thank you. Suzuki, very much. sorry, sorry. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much. Do you st- have you stayed in touch with any of the players? Uh, well, the, this is a, the, one of the things that they said to me is like I expected they'd all be in WhatsApp groups with all their old squads. Yeah, and really sadly, it just doesn't seem to be a thing. Oh. They like they, they, I really, well, I know that Vinny is. Vinny is in a crazy gang WhatsApp chat. I'm sure. I'm sure there are the, the uh, there is the odd exception. There's not an underwhelming Middlesbrough squad WhatsApp group. <laughs> There's no. not a 1992 Sky photo shoot WhatsApp group. Oh, that oh. would be amazing. Lee Hurst, you could set it up, Tom. Yeah, that, I could set it up. That's a great set it up idea. and leave. <laughs> set it up and leave. Maybe I'll do the I'll do the thing where you're the admin and you're the only one who can post anything. And I just say, right, I've got some home truths for you. That commentary shirt was bullshit. <laughs> Uh, Tom, we always ask one last question of our guests, and I think I know the answer to this, because the 90s was a great decade to be a QPR fan, but so if you could get the opportunity to go back to the 1st of January 1990 and relive it all again, would you? No. Always look look forward. I know that's not the answer you want for a nostalgic football podcast. I mean, imagine if you you went back and actually sort of had to play sensible soccer again and realised quite how bad it was. It, it It wouldn't be good. Oh, Michael's absolutely... I mean, I've, I've literally just pitched that as an episode idea. Yeah, we're, we're literally doing <laughs> but that. But we'll find out if it's bad. We'll find yeah. out if it's well, bad. We've got to play the right version. Make sure you get the Amiga version. Not The Mega Drive one is like an absolute botch. And all the remakes where they've tried to do it on like PS4 are, are ruined. Like you've got, to, you've got to play it with the controls it was intended for at the time. Um, but in this arrangement, is it like a Men in Black thing where like you've got no memory of it? Because even if it is, like, you'd have some deja vu, wouldn't you? You'd be watching back and thinking like this... 
This I'd love it rant in front of the Euro 96 poster is triggering some nerves in my conscience. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Tom Gibbs. Thanks so much. There we go. That was Tom Gibbs, QPR via that famous shot of the, the inaugural Premier League season. That was a lovely trip down memory lane. Lovely trip down memory line. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Tom will be back for the quiz at the end of the series, uh, which uh, we've already recorded. And um, it's a bit of a walkover, actually. But it's still enjoyable. (laughs) Okay, that's it for this week, except for the quiz, of course. And I thought we could have a little twist this week, uh, seeing as we've just discussed that picture that featured a range of players from the 92-93 inaugural uh, Premier League season and the squads. I'm going to challenge you two to name all the players in that photograph without even looking. Without looking. Okay. Without looking. Bear in okay. mind, we haven't done... This is recorded probably three or four <laughs> weeks after the Tom Gibbs episode. Okay. Do you want to start, Michael? Uh, okay, I'm going to start with um, the the outlier in that photo, as discussed, Peter Beardsley. Oh, good one. Confirmed. Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Gordon Strachan. Yeah. Lee Sharp? Yeah. Tim Flowers? Correct. Hans Sagers? Correct. Doing quite well, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tim Sherwood? Correct. Mark Wright? Oh, you're smashing through this. I think it was Tony Daly. Correct. Gary Charles? Correct. Um, John Walk? Correct, Christ. Oh, this is... Now, Andy now, Ritchie. now we get into Andy Ritchie. Andy Ritchie, correct. Uh, I was done then, but you just triggered me for Andy Sinton. Oh, good one. Oh, correct. Gordon Jury. Gordon Jury. Eh? Correct. Yes, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> um, Do you want to know how many you got left? One, two. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight left. Uh, I'm happy to give. Do you want me no, to give no, you a clubs? No, 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 no. Josh has got. I, I was going to say absolutely yes, but Josh has got. Uh, I'm sitting on one. How many have you got after that one? None. But <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find more. Oh, I've got two. I've got two gam. I've got two gambles. Okay, go on then. I've got a Norwich and I've got a Crystal Palace gamble. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Go with the Crystal Palace gamble. I'm going to go with John Talarco. Yeah, Correct. David Hillier. Correct. Oh, that's a good one. Um, uh, this, yeah, Chris Sun. That's not right, is it? No. Incorrect. No. no. Shit. Josh for the win. I think it's Ian Butterworth. Oh, oh. congratulations. <laughs> no complaints. No complaints on Ian Butterworth, one, two, people. Three, and then is Man City Ian Brightwell? Ian Brightwell for Man City, very correct? Very high level of quizzing. Very I, I was impressed by did, how well did we, we get the sh- We did, did get the get Coventry one. I've forgotten the... Co- oh, David Hurst. David Hurst. Coventry City. Oh, it's that guy. Fa- famous be. right-wing comedian. Lee Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> Sheffield United and Middlesbrough left. Famous just, just, is a big word, isn't it? <laughs> Doing a lot of work there. Just yeah. for completion, Sheffield United and Middlesbrough. Any mm, ideas? No. Sheffield United, is that John Pemberton? No. No. Brian Dean? Carl Bradshaw. 
Carl Bradshaw, Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. Don't know. Alan Kernahan. Alan Kernahan. Alan Kernahan. There All you right. go. Really, that's a really well, we, high level, a really competitive yeah. game. Oh, we're well both done, competing boys. to say the words alive and kicking by simple minds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to say them. <laughs> what a lovely way to end this episode. Until next week, Stuart Slater, see you later. You turned me This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.